0: State of Digital Publishing is a publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this second season episode, we speak with Chase Palmieri, Chief Executive Officer of Credder, about the state of fake news and reviews. Credder is creating a trusted review site for news media articles for journalists and the public. Let's begin.
1: Hi, Chase. How are you doing? I'm
0: doing great. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, uh, thanks for coming on. Um, I've seen your work and it seems very interesting. So I'd like to share with everyone else today. So James is one of the co-founders from Creda and um, they're really trying to look at an alternative way of verifying news and stories online. But before we go into our topic today on, on fake the state of fake news and what they're doing, I'd love to pass it over to you, Chase. So, if you can give a background about yeah. you and how you got started, that'd be awesome.
0: Yeah, so I got started into the space of kind of online news. And I guess I should start with what Creditor does, which is uh, we essentially believe that news should be competing for trust, not clicks. And so we are on a mission to help the state of online news shift from an economy of clicks to an economy built on credibility. And the only way we can do that is by having. Uh, a track record of the articles, authors, and outlets performance over time as they're being perceived as trustworthy by their audiences. And so what we built is a review site for news media where uh, other journalists and the public can review articles under separate categories and kind of hold these articles, authors, and outlets accountable with ratings. And the reason that I and my team got into this is that we were it was um, January 2016, and we were very, very frustrated with the the news environment. We saw the level of clickbait as a percentage of online news on the rise, and then we dug into the, the revenue models underlying online news and realized that, well, with this kind of eyeball, monetizing, advertising-based uh, system this is only going to increase and become a larger percentage of the online news pie. And so we didn't see any solutions being proposed that we thought might slow this down or, or help kind of save uh, news in the future. And so I have a background in running a restaurant in Petaluma, California, uh, where I've had my restaurant Reezy Beezy for 13 years. And I'm very aware of how, restaurant owners' per, uh, performance changed and the behavior of the wait staff changed when Yelp came into the industry. Yeah. Um, once customers were able to start holding the restaurants and local businesses accountable, it really did change uh, the restaurant owners all the way down to the busboys' behavior because the accountability just breeds better service and it, it helps align the restaurant with who they're actually supposed to be serving, which is their audience, their community, their, their base. And I kind of was deep into that model and thought, well, that's interesting. This is an industry that's being held accountable with reviews, but there seems to be no way for me as a frustrated news consumer to hold an author outlet accountable with reviews, Um, especially at that time is when a lot of these outlets started removing their comment sections altogether. And so what we decided to do was see if we could come up with a review process for news first, and then... You know, if that worked and that and that was able to get meaningful insights out of people in a more objective way, then we thought, okay, maybe we can build a review platform and help curb this uh, this rise in quick bait.
1: No, um, that that totally makes sense, and I think um, it's very commendable what you guys are doing. I also read online that you guys call yourselves the, tom- uh, the rotten tomatoes of for news. Do you think that's helped with people's getting interested in learning but more about you guys and coming onto your platform? How's that helped?
0: Yeah, so when we first had the concept, it, we were either calling ourselves the Yelp for news consumers or Rotten Tomatoes for news. It was important that because we're doing something totally new, that we give people a way to communicate to each other what we are and just have kind of a first understanding of what, what it is that we do and the value that we're going to be providing in this news industry. Um, it's also worth pointing out that our very first advisor was actually Patrick Lee, the founder and former CEO of Rotten Tomatoes. So he was uh, very helpful, continues to be an incredibly helpful advisor to us, one of our many great advisors. And so from a very early uh Early on days, he was helping us guide our strategy. And and you can even see how we kind of relate to Rotten Tomatoes for News when you go to creditor.com and and see kind of the iconography of the ratings next to the articles. Um, But it was very important that we give our users a way to tell each other um, what we are. And the phrase that we kept hearing from our users was Rotten Tomatoes for News. So we figured we might as well embrace that.
1: Absolutely. And... I know, just for people who haven't come onto the website and just to give them a just to give them an explanation a bit more of how it works, it, it's it's as simple as when you when you go onto an article, you can just click on whether or not you can just write the review and you can also click on or make a comment on how it is, right? Whether it's balanced, it has great context or investigative, is that correct?
0: Yeah, so essentially, what we are is a news aggregator, but every single article, author, and outlet on our site has its own rating page. And so, what we have users do is you're never ever reviewing the author or the outlet directly. What you're doing is you're reviewing individual articles, but then we behind the scenes bubble those article ratings up into an average score for the authors and outlets. Uh, That's really important, helps make sure that nobody's trying to attack. Uh, an individual or a viewpoint, but instead of critiquing the content of the articles.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, what you're doing when you're reviewing is you're stating uh, on a five star scale simply what level of trust you have in that article. Uh, and this is the important first step because what we really are trying to do is relay this information back to authors and publishers so they know the kind of when and why they're gaining or losing a reader's trust, which is information that they don't currently uh, get from their kind of traffic metrics and so once you're done selecting uh, your level of trust you state the reason why you uh, chose that level of trust so if you're pick if let's say you didn't trust the article uh you would select illogical as one of the possible reasons and you would be able to actually in two clicks select something as specific as straw man fallacy and then leave an explanation to say well, this article misrepresented the other side's argument, creating a straw man and, and attacked the straw man. And basically, it allows each reader to tag that article with whatever problem they found in the article, which is also helpful to the other readers on the site who can now, for the first time before they read an article, know what to be on the lookout for and know what other news consumers trust or distrust about that
1: article. That's def- that definitely makes sense. Uh, Being, I guess, being an aggregator, it is a bit tough. You have, um, in terms of growing the audience organically, given that you're, you're sourcing a lot of sort of snippets from everywhere else, how have you found the user audience growth so far today? And how do you, how are you guys working on on the audience development side of things?
0: Yeah, it's actually funny that you mentioned that because it is not until this month, uh, literally starting today, we're speaking together now on August 1st, that we are turning the company's focus towards growth. What we have been focused on internally has been retention and engagement. Yeah. Essentially, what we wanted to do before we went out and grew the, the audience or the user base was make sure that we could turn a visitor into a reviewer and that we could prove out the the fact that there are people that want to review articles and um, that we can get them to come back and do it on a recurring basis. And so now we've proven that out, and uh, we no longer have a a leaky bucket, as you might call it in the industry. Mm -hmm. And so now we're going to be going out and growing the user base. And one of the ways we're doing that is actually with what we're calling our partner program, Now, this is very interesting because what we're doing is we're offering publishers a button embed that they will be able to put at the bottom of their articles that says review article with creditor. And this allows them to uh, send their readers to the relevant article rating page and review their work. So that way they can get the feedback, uh, but they can also do things when they land on that page, like tip the outlet and subscribe to their newsletter. And this is also good for the publisher because they're getting their own readers, in many cases, to be the ones reviewing them. In the same way, a restaurant would probably hope to have their most regular customers be the majority of their Yelp reviews. So we're giving them the qualitative feedback they they are missing in this kind of weekly performance report. And we're building a lot of other incentives around this kind of behavior, but that's going to be one of the biggest ways that we grow our user base is that you and other readers will literally see a button on the bottom of other news outlets sites that says review article with credit.
1: I I could see that double-sided aspect like the, the, you know, usually in terms of growing a platform like this and like how Facebook has shown and and a lot of sites have shown, it's a double-sided network effect that has done that. But, um, In terms of the audience, you know, the channels that you can get the users from, is it using direct outreach or referrals? How do you find journalists and people and users come onto the website? How do they find you at the moment?
0: Uh, At the moment, it's a lot of, uh, they might find us through our TechCrunch feature or our two Reddit AMAs that uh, really took over the Reddit AMA pages both of those days with hundreds of thousands of views. Um, and because of that kind of press that we've been getting and those Reddit AMAs, uh, it's also done wonders for our SEO. So people are finding us naturally through search when they search something like review site for news or Rotten Tomatoes for news or Yelp for news. I believe we're showing up first for kind of all of those searchable phrases. Okay. Um, and what's cool about this embed strategy, actually, is that because we're putting a direct link to our website on these publisher sites, uh, that will actually greatly increase SEO for us going forward as well.
1: Absolutely. It's, it's a very common way which other platforms do it as well. So I hope it works out, particularly with, with these bigger publishers as well. Chase, so let's take a step back now. I'd love to explore a bit more of the landscape because, you know, the topic that we're speaking about today is around uh, fake news and, you know, obviously trusted journalism. Uh, let's let's look at the the tech platform side. So, thinking about social media like Facebook and Twitter. So, you know, you know, they did. They've always had the problem of clickbait, and they've they've always tried to show users trust signals. Like, for example, Facebook has recently verified symbols for news organizations. So, unless you're you don't have to go through the process of getting verified, you won't be able to be shown in in the newsfeed algorithm, how do you think initiatives like Twitter and Facebook have done? How do you think they have worked out so far from your point of view?
0: I guess I would say I think it's a little strange that we were experiencing the problem on these sites and then we expect them to be the ones to solve the problems. Uh, that they, in in turn, have been creating. So I think it's a little strange of us in society to kind of call on Facebook or Twitter to solve the fake news problem. I think uh, Facebook and Twitter would much rather someone else solve the problem and be able to integrate that in a way that's useful. So one of the reasons that Credit started is that we were terrified by the solutions being proposed in this space because... Most of them were oh there will be an AI for news that tells you what's good well that's the solution that we don't really trust because who's who's controlling that AI what was the data that was fed to it to to uh, create these kind of ratings and then the other one was oh Facebook and Google will just block or censor things on our behalf which is another weird call for help from our society to corporations that already have massive amounts of control over the information ecosystem. So we were very uh, unsettled by that and we thought well the only way to solve this problem is by creating a rating system where the news consumers themselves can participate in the solution because being able to participate in the solution is is crucial if you want news consumers to trust the solution. And that's where we, we think things like NewsGuard fall short, is if you're not going to let the news consumers participate, then how can you expect them to trust it? And then what we think it is great about kind of a review model for this space is that it doesn't require any censorship. What we're saying, even on our own site, is we feature the worst articles imaginable because we're very similar to Rotten Tomatoes in the way where we would want Uh, Rotten Tomatoes would want the worst movie uh, in the box offices to be on the site and have its kind of uh, moldy rating so that people know what to avoid as well as what to go and check out. So we think that as far as uh, Facebook and Twitter's woes, that we might actually be uh, the golden ticket for them because we're going to eventually allow our ratings API to integrate with these third-party sites, not just Facebook and Twitter, but other news aggregators, and allow them to feature our creditor rating score next to the content on their platforms so that they can actually take a step back from responsibility on dealing with these issues.
1: That's, that's an interesting angle. Um, I think with taking on that um, rating system, so it has to be something that's widely adopted, and that's the, always going to be the challenge, I guess, but it's, it's worth pursuing, like I like said, for the great of providing people with unbi- yeah. balanced reviews. So do, do you, I mean, algorithms and everything else, like technology, is also going to be, the point of those as well, I think, though, is that it does take out that human process. Once you do define for parameters, it does sort of help you guys learn. It helps learn detect these things over time. Is there something that maybe that's going to be incorporated into user-generated reviews as well to help you guys scale the efforts? Or, or do you think it's purely going to be the way that you guys are going currently? How do you well, think the landscape we, is going to go
0: Yeah, we think that it is possible for there to eventually be a trustworthy AI for news. But we believe that it's going to need to require a huge database, a training data set of real user and human generated reviews and ratings to train it. And so what we think we're actually building is the database that would allow for an AI for news to eventually be possible. But anybody that preaches about an AI for news that doesn't have all of this data, you should really be skeptical of, of what they're setting their, their algorithms um, or their AI for news tools to, uh, to be looking at. So we actually think that we are going to be sitting on that data set and it's yet to be seen. We're already talking to some AI for News um, players, but it's yet to be seen whether we give that data over to them to create that AI for News or if we will build it in-house in the future. But uh, ultimately, we feel like we are the ones with the data set that will allow that to be possible.
1: How about governance boards? Like, you know, I know in Australia, like this industry watchdogs that monitor online behavior, like um, competitor activity or competitor behavior. Is there a reason maybe we can't adopt that type of model and that way you can keep everything non-objective, fair and balanced?
0: So we're always trying to remove ourselves as much as we can from the review process and and the ratings and, and the site in general. I think that maybe what you're kind of hinting at is kind of decentralization, we are very interested in moving towards decentralization uh, at a future date. But right now, we need to be iterating the platform to make sure that users love it. And that does require a little bit of, uh, you know, somebody making a call to make this color red and this color orange, you know, at the end of the day, or, or this should be over here. So until we have things right, we still need to be kind of leading this. Uh, also, because it's something that never existed before, a review platform for news is just something totally new, and it really does require us to be listening to our users and and iterating week to week until we've we get everything right. But uh, yeah, long term, I think there will be whether it's us or another player, a review site for news that is totally decentralized.
1: Okay, um, I think there's also another angle. Like you touched upon just now. There's the tech solution, MarTech providers. There's people like Harkin, I think, who focus on providing tools to give, um, ability for people to give feedback directly on news media sites. Like, well, What's your overall opinion on, on tech solution providers' role in this? I know you said that before as well, like they should be the ones who actually can help media platforms, social media platforms to tackle these issues, but what's your overall opinion on and how they are playing in the market and, and and you know maybe how they're playing in the market with you guys?
0: So we're actually really good friends with uh, the Harkin team and ground source. Uh, so we actually really like what they're doing. We think that we are doing something similar with the qualitative feedback of our reviews yep. and and turning those reviews back over to the publishers and authors. But we think we're going a step further by providing this just new news gathering experience around it, as well as the tipping mechanism for the authors and outlets so that there's a financial incentive involved. So I guess if I was to critique some of the players in that space, it would be that they are doing one thing, whereas if we're really going to change news, you have to create a new experience, a you know, you could call it your 10x better experience than what people are experiencing today, mm-hmm. and have people moving through that experience, and naturally giving up the feedback to those authors and outlets in a way where it is actually rewarding to them as well to do so. Because when you're reviewing on Credder, it it is kind of a, a cathartic thing, You you feel like you're finally being heard for the first time, you feel like you can finally do something besides just Exit out of a bad article and where which was what you would do before credit existed, so overall we love them we we like Andrew Haig and the Harkin team um, as well, and they're they're great people, and we like even the the chart beats of the world that are giving the publishers their kind of more traffic metrics, the more quantitative metrics, but we think that Publishers are very vulnerable right now because they don't know where they're gaining or losing a reader's trust. And in a very, very direct way, that is what we're capturing from our users.
1: In saying that, Jason, let's go to the practical aspect of our chat. So I'd really love to discuss with you how we can build that credibility, strategies on demonstrating credibility and trust, and particularly also looking at it on different stages of the publisher life cycle. So there might be people who are just starting out versus existing ones, existing publishers like the New York Times, like the bigger guys. So let's start, for those who are starting out their own media publication, people who are just like at home, they're sitting in and producing quality journalism and and articles. What's the steps you think they should take to help create established uh, publication and... What, did, what should I do on their website as well to, to, to demonstrate that?
0: Yeah, um, that's a great question. So we don't expect a New York Times or a Washington Post to really care about creditor in the near term. But these smaller independent outlets and individual authors running their individual blogs, they are going to have the greatest need for creditor because they're the ones that are having some difficulty signaling their credibility to their audience and their new readers. And so what we've actually are doing is creating these these author rating pages and these outlet rating pages where it's in the best interest for the author outlet to promote their rating page, especially if they have a good rating, to to promote that because they can grab revenue, they can grab people to their newsletter, but they're also signaling their credibility and the fact that they're willing to be reviewed. I think that's going to be one of the biggest reasons that people adopt the embed button at the bottom of their articles that says review article with creditor mm-hmm. is because naturally any any creator that is willing to be held accountable, even, even taking the content out of it, they just appear to be more trustworthy because they're holding themselves accountable, or they're at least allowing you to hold them accountable. And as far as the the individuals kind of sitting at home and writing articles and just starting out, that's exactly the person that should be paying close attention to their early writing and how it's being responded to by readers, uh, for example, on credit who are saying, uh, I didn't like how you injected your personal opinion at the end of the article here. Everything was good, but then at the end, you kind of tried to sway the reader. It would have been great if you just let the information speak for itself. There's a lot of these little examples where a a writer, an up-and-comer, can actually iterate their writing style to be perceived as more trustworthy.
1: So what have you found found the common things that can make an article trustworthy, like I know that varies from niche to niche, and every niche has its own style. But uh, is there some common things that you've picked up that when people, you know, they want to submit their article the first time to a that they can maximize their opportunity to be seen as credible?
0: Yeah, there definitely are. Um, Some of them might not be surprising, um, because we are also, in many cases, news consumers, so we know what we don't trust and what we trust. But some of them are also uh, kind of surprising. So if I were to kind of read off from our case study, which is actually available in the footer of creditor.com, niche, vertical, in-depth journalism is getting much stronger engagement and is being perceived as more trustworthy. So I guess a a real-life example of that would be, yes, you could read NBC writing about Bitcoin, or you could be reading an article from a... uh, a small news outlet or independent outlet that it writes specifically about cryptocurrency, blockchain, and Bitcoin. And what we're seeing is that the more niche the publisher, the deeper detail and uh, context they can provide to breaking events. And that in turn becomes perceived as more trustworthy. So, uh, yeah, niche, separating Uh, your uh, the author's opinion from the article altogether so there's a few ways to do this in an ideal world we would recommend that the author not have any of their own opinion in the piece but just let the facts uh, speak for themselves and display those those that facts and information in a chronological order that's also one thing that readers like but if you are going to interject your opinion or kind of your hot take it's important that you separate it from the piece. So that could be with like a dotted line or by labeling, um, a, the last paragraph or the beginning paragraph, you know, my opinion, but by actually separating your opinion from the information itself, it is perceived as more credible because you're not trying to hide it into the framing of the article itself. Okay. Um, let's see, there's some other things like, um, Oh, uh, one thing that comes up a lot is when readers read a headline and then they read an article's content and they don't there's some kind of a misconnect between the headline and the content itself. So for example, uh, a headline might be very sensational, but then you read the article and it doesn't even support what the headline was kind of accusing someone of or something along those lines. So what readers do is they actually compare the content of the article to the headline and if that feels off then it signals to them that you were tricking them into reading the article and that there wasn't necessarily even a big story there, but now you've you got them in with the clickbait. And so that's another way that you can lose read a, a, a loser reader's trust.
1: That makes sense. I mean, that's stuck like the scent and intent of articles. And thanks for sh- sharing with that case study information. I'm just looking through it as well. There's a lot more statistical stuff in it, which people can go through. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah,
0: like another one, for example, is internal linking. So when you what you see a lot is publishers that inside the article are linking to all of their own other articles. Yeah. Um and that can when you overdo that, it looks like you're just trying to drive more traffic to your own information where it might have been more helpful to the reader if you'd actually linked to a different article that was even, you know, maybe more rich in information on that subject. And uh, yeah, so internal linking. And then what we also see a lot of is people write about these scientific studies or new reports, and then they don't actually link directly to the source information. And so you're reading somebody's take on a scientific report, and then you can't actually go look at the original source report yourself, or it becomes frustrating and hard to find.
1: Yeah, um, but how about those that do direct research themselves, like firsthand? Or I mean, people look at secondary, use; they're using secondary information, but how about like primary information, like the interviews, yeah. like, stuff like that?
0: Yeah, interviews are good. Um, what we have seen, though, is that um, creating news stories out of Twitter feuds is not perceived as credible, you know, t- shocker there. But basically what readers are suggesting uh, on Credder is that just because so-and-so tweeted at so-and-so that doesn't mean it's a story there has to still be a story there Um, and just throwing the tweets up and kind of creating the context of confrontation doesn't itself warrant a story so newsworthiness is also kind of an indicator of credibility
1: and just looking let's look a bit more detail on page like you said internally and everything else have you seen? How about there's there's some news articles out there that underneath the heading, they might have like a, a snippet of like a note, like a snippet of what the article's about or what the um, the, a summary of the article. Sorry, for the lack of, I I can't think of the lack of the the word for at the moment. But
0: yeah, the the TLDR. That's the, right. Yeah,
1: exactly. Short, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, I think it's convenient for news consumers to see the kind of bulleted point, but as far as perceived credibility, we don't have any kind of uh, confirmed feedback on that yet. I think it's, the jury's still out. We're going to need more reviews and, and more examples of that before we can
1: say whether that's working or not. Understood. Um, and, you know, I mean, I've also seen people have curated articles, so there might just be repurposing or like looking at an existing story on, on bigger sites and then, then just they might add if one or two points of their own unique angle to it. But um, particularly for publishers that I've seen and I've spoken with, you know, like it's the past case of, as, as you've mentioned a few. They say curation is also important as a way to build your audience because you, or, or even sharing other people's work onto your, your website because that helps them, you know, with their audience development and, and also... It's not going to see, it might see some direct traffic for the short term. What are your thoughts around the curation and, and that whole aspect of sharing other people's articles on your website? Has that seen a positive or negative role in? in, in
0: yeah. Yeah, that has been mostly positive because, again, um, what people respond negatively to is this over internal linking where it looks like. You never want the the reader to leave your own site and you're just trying to capture them down the rabbit hole and send them to your next other article. So yeah, um, linking to the best information at hand, whether that's your content or somebody else's, is doing the reader a favor and it is appreciated and it comes through in the reviews.
1: Absolutely. Uh, How about, so looking at the website holistically, some strategies holistically, like, and we've done a recent Digit Publishers report as well, looking at, authenticity signals and we found that obviously with the bigger publishers they consistently have business details on the website, address you know mail mail, and, and and other profiles that are externally that are showing their authenticity for publishers that are more independent and they're more remote how can they overcome that barrier as well because I think that's a big that's a big part and you don't want to be for example putting your home address on, on onto your website if you're mostly remote and starting out. How do you think they can overcome that?
0: Yeah, I, you're absolutely right, and that is exactly what the rating page on Credder, um solves for them. So if I, I'm a small independent author um, and I don't have an office, or I don't want to provide a phone number, um, and I don't have corporate sponsorship or or any kind of uh, anything to prove that I'm, you know a credible journalist well what i can do is show you my track record and what my readers have to say about me and just share my rating page with you and on that rating page you have all of my content and uh and you're seeing not just what the public the readers think about me but what other journalists are saying about my content too so as much as those kind of Uh, trust indicators, that's kind of the word that's being used for those, you know, where you're supposed to list who your corporate sponsors are, what your mission statement is, what your correction policy is. Ultimately, we don't think that does anything to drive news into this new modern era where credibility matters. And I think it's unclear that it, it even has the effect of building trust with the readers that it intends to, because what is a trustworthy correction policy versus a not trustworthy correction policy the way we perceive credibility it's it's your performance over time it's it's do your readers trust you over time and uh if you have a great track record well then people should you know take you more more seriously
1: definitely um do you see any like like i said earlier i'd love to to start looking at the different stages of the publisher business cycle and depending on how big you are um so moving from startup to more of the mid, mid, medium size or small SME publishers do you see any differences when you move to that level in terms of trial? Yes, and- we do. Yeah.
0: Yeah, what's, inter- what's interesting about Creditor is that we are building up our own credibility in many ways. So, you know, we are a young team that is not from this space originally. We We got into this project out of, you know, personal necessity and and fear for other outcomes. And so we are building up our own credibility me talking to you on this podcast in some respects, will you know, whatever the world credibility points are, maybe I get a couple of credibility points for speaking to you and, and explaining what we're about. So I think the bigger we are and the more technological tools that we provide to these publishers, which is the embed and the tipping and, um, And just the the better performance out of our our main application in general, it all lends more credibility that, yes, we're here to stay, because that's really what matters to these publishers. It's, It's the same thing that happened in restaurants. When Yelp came into town, a lot of restaurants ignored them, and they did it at their own peril because they thought, well, okay, this is catching on now, but maybe Yelp will die and we can keep getting away with what we've been getting away with and overcharging customers and, and uh, you know, not being as good of a uh, host to out-of-towners. There's a lot of things like that. But the restaurants that embraced Yelp and um decided oh this is going to be a driver of traffic for me and a driver of reputation those are the restaurants that you're actually seeing flourishing today and a good example of this would be that you see these mom and pop restaurants getting you know lines out the door whereas people don't go to IHOP and Denny's to, as much as they used to and that's because IHOP and Denny's used to be a proxy for reputation but now a restaurant's Yelp page or TripAdvisor rating page is their proxy for reputation.
1: Got it. So pretty much people in the SME, as they moved and become more established, um, but they're not as big yet, you've seen them really leverage a lot of online profiles and they they, get, they have like a really strong reputation and ratings to, to really get people coming back to their new sites. Is that a good way to summarize what, what you said? Yeah,
0: yeah, I guess that would, yeah, that would be a good way of saying that.
1: Okay, cool. And so then we move on to the larger publishers. So with larger publishers, um, even though they've got massive sites, what have you seen some differences when when you, go to, when you get to that stage?
0: So one thing that's really interesting that we're seeing with larger publishers is the discrepancy between the critic rating and the user rating for you know, publishers like the New York Times and the Washington Post and, and the Atlantic, these kind of bigger brands, they have a lot of built in trust from fellow journalists. And so, what we're seeing on our platform is that the journalists are tending to review them positively because they just kind of have a, a preconceived trust in these outlets but well, we're actually seeing that these are not the most trusted brands according to the, the users on the site. In many cases, it's actually smaller independent outlets with a focus on the reader um, that are being perceived as more credible. So that's one of the interesting insights that came across in our case study, is just how the users are perceiving uh, content as trustworthy differently than fellow journalists.
1: That's pretty interesting. Um... But how does that, you know, they like New York, like let's say New York Times was in that position where there's that big discrepancy. But people, that, that you can see how big they are and um, how much users they get, an audience they're getting online and, and their subscription is working well. Why is that still working for them if there's that big discrepancy or for those type of publishers that have that discrepancy? Why is their business still running as well if, if the user rating's not there?
0: Well, in the New York Times case, they really took a focus of trying to move as much of their business to subscription revenue as early as possible, and they they made a big shift in doing so. And what kind of scares me is that many people in this space look and they say, oh, but look, the New York Times is doing great with subscription revenue. Therefore, the industry as a whole is, is going to healthily transition to subscription revenue. But it's not exactly true. The New York Times is the most recognized brand in the world. And in many cases, if a, if a news consumer is going to subscribe to uh, an outlet and pay that monthly fee, they're only going to do it for one outlet. And in many cases, they're probably going to default to the New York Times. So what's kind of interesting about what's going on on our platform is that when, you, when a user reviews your article positively, we're going to actually, on your behalf, prompt that reader to tip you. And it's also on our end to try to turn that into a monthly recurring tip on your behalf. And So then you, the outlet or author, will be able to come and claim uh, that tip revenue at any time. And so this will actually apply to the New York Times as well. If people are reading and loving New York Times articles on credit New York Times will actually have a new revenue stream through Creditor where people are, are leaving tips for them and they can come claim it. And this is something that can just sit alongside their existing subscription revenue that they run off of their own
1: site. That's, that's a really interesting. Uh, thank you for bringing up the point of monetization because th- maybe that's what helps them. That, that's the, the shift in monetization, I think, is, is really useful to bring a point. So do you think that even with you guys before that you might be focusing on prioritizing various publishers to come onto your platform first, maybe like the Guardians or those type of sites that really need a membership driven approach uh, they they have a, they need the members to support their journalism
0: yeah, so you you're exactly right. um we're technically targeting uh, publishers a little bit smaller than the Guardian right now, yeah. things more like truth dig and truth out and and uh shadow proof or you know, some of these smaller outlets as uh, what you might call more low-hanging fruit so that we can kind of establish ourselves as being helpful and then build our way uh, up the kind of what you might call the the brand leaderboard. Yep. Um, but uh, But yes, that a, a Guardian or any other outlet needs this revenue. And what we're basically saying is keep doing what you're doing. You guys monetize your site. But when they're on our site, we're going to be monetizing on your behalf as well. And uh, come claim it when you want to claim that money.
1: That's that's really good to, to see that progression, I guess. So I'm, I'm very optimistic about it as well. So let's look ahead. And I'd love to know a bit more about your plans for 2019 and beyond. What are you guys working yeah, on? So
0: there? as I mentioned, kind of at the top of the, the podcast, we had not been previously focusing on growth. Um, we'd been really focused on on uh, engagement and proving out the reviewer base and, uh, and finding a way to re-engage them, which we do through the Credder Daily, which is our daily email of headlines that we send to our entire user base to kind of pull them back in to review some of those articles that are trending that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're really excited about launching at the end of August is the partner program, which I've mentioned, Uh, which is that embed button that anybody can come grab off of our site and place at the bottom of their articles. It's going to be something you don't even need our permission to do. It'll be a a page on the website where you can grab that button, uh, pick the version of the button design that matches your site's design, and throw it in there. And so we don't even need to be part of the process, and then we're going to be sending you that weekly performance report. But besides that, which is our growth model, what we're also launching at the end of August is going to be our extension for Chrome and Firefox, and as well as an iOS app, uh, because we've been letting our uh, mobile users down for a long time. But um, as far as for the extension, the reason this is really important is we do not expect news consumers to get their news on Creditor all the time. It's just too big of an ask to ask a news consumer to revisit Creditor every day to get their news. So what we're doing is we're giving them the power of those ratings and the review process to take on the go with them. So launching the extension will mean that wherever you land on an article, whether you clicked on it through Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, the second you land on that article, we run a quick search of our database. And if we have the article, author, or outlet's rating information will pop that up as a notification and actually allow you to review the article right there through the extension as well so that we can get that review out of you and protect you on the go without you ever having to come back to creditor.com.
1: Interesting space. Watch this space. It's very interesting. Watch this space. So, Chase, and in terms of your mission as well and um, your internal plans and team that – is that, with that shift, with the partner program, is that going to see you guys make changes internally, or is it just sort of putting the fuel on fuel on the fire?
0: I guess what you could say is it's like adding a funnel to uh, our bucket. So again, we we needed to make sure that we were keeping users, making them happy. Actually, you know, getting reviews out of people that you, even people that maybe are coming to the site to read other people's reviews. We yeah. want to have A site in place that actually eventually turns them into active participants. And so we are doing that now. Even first-time visitors are leaving multiple reviews on articles. So we've proven that out. And now what we're doing, yeah, with the embed is we're going to be pouring fuel on the fire and just getting more people into the bucket. And that's going to make the ratings more and more useful. It's going to make the engagement and kind of the community feel on Credder explode. And then when they download the extension, they're going to benefit from all those added reviews because now they're going to be covered on even more sites. So it all kind of works together to create an even more valuable experience.
1: That makes sense. Um, and and when do you have any plans on re- removing beta soon from the website or w- w- what's the plan around that?
0: You know, that's a really interesting internal debate. Some of us think that maybe we're not really in beta anymore, but Some of us agree that, okay, we are still making a lot of changes. Still, you know, the occasional bug here and there. So really the reason beta is there is to... Uh, limit our our visitors expectations so that they know that we're not saying that this is a finished product this is something that we're continuing to improve upon and you know stick with us through some of the the harder times as we're getting things right so uh i'd imagine that the beta will stay up for maybe another few months and then we can call ourselves officially uh planted
1: awesome i look forward to seeing that as well just looking at looking ahead i guess um and I've also been reading as well, because Europe has also come up in the news, some of the challenges that they've been having as well with being able to continue getting people to get reviews on their website and maybe the fact that some of their data suite and tools hasn't sort of been keeping hasn't been keeping up to pace with some of the technology changes like the data integration solutions that can be offered to small businesses out there. What do you guys see the challenges for you? Is once you launch the pilot program that you need to tackle.
0: Yeah. One thing that's interesting about this space, the kind of review platform space. Uh, first off, we believe that every single vertical, every industry will have a uh, review platform where the consumers of the industry can hold the producers accountable. So we think it's just a matter of time before there is one for the news. But in regards to Yelp and Rotten Tomatoes and TripAdvisor and these other review sites, it's only ever about 1% of their user base that's actually leaving the reviews. And it's 99% of their users that are coming to reference the ratings so that they can make a better purchase decision or, or decision on how to spend their time. So one thing that's interesting about how Creditor compares to a Rotten Tomatoes or Yelp is that With Rotten Tomatoes or Yelp, in many cases, what you're doing is you actually have to pay a ticket price for that movie, or you have to pay for a dinner, and this is an offline experience, and then you're expected to come back home and pull up the computer or iPhone and leave the review, whereas with Credder, we are literally integrated into the experience itself so that you can see the rating when you land on an article and review it the second you're done reading it. So this is kind of why we think we're actually going to be have a higher percentage of reviewers as a total of our user base. And I would guess that that is a big part of the challenge for some of these other review platforms, maybe losing steam, is that, yeah, they're simply providing an offline experience, but an online experience for their reviews.
1: Makes sense. While well, you guys are doing a pure online place, So, yeah, I really hope that we see the success that you guys have planned for the partner program.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: No, absolutely. You let
0: us know if uh, there are any publishers you think might want to sign up.
1: We'll, of course, we'll, of course. Chase, just um, looking at one quick question as well. Since you've come from the outside, and, and I'm, I feel like I'm... I'm I've come from that similar situation as well because I haven't started uh, out as a journalist or anything else. What would be the one advice that you'd give for those people coming from the outside and want to uh, grow their career and and become an entrepreneur in this space?
0: I think you have to show, not tell. I think um, if you're expecting to talk your way into being taken seriously... You're, you're going to be too busy doing that and you're going to have missed out on the time you could have been spending building something that surprises people or actually demonstrates that you are capable in this space. So I think, uh, I think there's a lot of you know, uh, landing pages and going around and talking, whereas you know, for our team, we spent two years working uh, full-time other jobs, living in a startup house, eating quesadillas, and it was two years of, I guess you could call it like a fun torture uh, that we self-imposed on ourselves because we knew that we weren't going to be taken seriously unless we built something that was taken seriously. So my, my greatest advice would be spend the time that you would thinking or talking or trying to make connections, just doing, because when people see what you're doing, they will reach out to you and you will no longer have to be selling everybody about your you know, your ability to get things done, they're going to just see uh, whatever you build as your new resume.
1: Absolutely. And like you said, focus on the niche because if you don't, if you don't start up somewhere and start a niche, then it's going to be, it be a lot harder for you to build your profile and reputation online in that space. Yeah, so, absolutely. So with that, thank you, Chase, for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Take care.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.